Welcome back to Corona Cold Reads, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Um, the Corona Cold Reads troupe has now officially completed every play in Shakespeare's canon, um, and we are moving on. Uh, as I'm recording this, we are actually we have actually finished our initial run of plays, which lasted a year and a half. Uh, we began the very first week that the lockdowns began in Toronto, and we met for a while every two uh, twice every week. Um, and then we moved to once a week and we really developed a core troop of actors, both pro and amateur who came together um, to read these plays uh, every single week for a year and a half. So um, we are now releasing them all for you to enjoy in podcast form. They're also all available on YouTube if you prefer to watch the video version. Um, I will give you a heads up for specific episodes if I really think you should watch the YouTube version because um, there's a few that have really fun costumes and impressions and some cool visual effects and things. But for the most part, you should be okay to listen in podcast form. Uh, please do keep in mind that these are all real cold reads. For the most part, nobody found out uh, who they were reading, what characters they were reading um, with more than 24 hours notice. In most cases, people are genuinely reading cold. They haven't looked at the text beforehand. So there will be some stumbles and there will be points at which people are on mute and we have to figure out what's going on or a dog wanders into the frame or we have to deal with life interfering with our um, coping strategy here. So uh, please do be patient with that sort of thing. Um, so as we, we finished all of Shakespeare, so now we're moving on to the rest of the, I don't know, written word, I guess. Um, our strategy here was to break uh, everything down into mini seasons. Um, so we, we, we begin with uh, a season of Chekhov plays, and then we end with a season of Shaw plays. And in between, uh, we do a Sorkin season and a season of, uh, we do some seasonal things. So um, one-offs for Halloween or for Christmas or things like that. So we have a romance season for Valentine's. So everything is sort of uh, built like that. Um, in little chunks. So I hope you enjoy and um, please do check us out at my ent world, my ENT world, both on Twitter and Instagram. Um, there's lots of great contact content going up there, both designed for those platforms as well as linking you back to the website, which is myentertainmentworld.ca. You can find all of our written work um, reviews from all sorts of different arts uh, branches and we also there have the links to um, each of these posts where you can find the full cast lists um, and links to the videos as well if you're interested in checking those out for Corona Cold Reads um, and please do subscribe on iTunes where you can find all of our uh, podcast content which there's tons of it we have all sorts of different series going um, we have the favorite series in Corona Cold Reads and Corona Movie Club and um season one episode one and all sorts of other uh, great content in, in addition to our regular my entertainment world podcast so um please do check that out rate and review all that jazz and uh thanks for tuning in welcome back to corona cold read sorkin season um i am really enjoying sorkin season it was really mostly fun for me to program um i am a television person at heart and this meant that i got to go back and watch a whole pile of sorkin stuff um in order to cast these shows um, and not only to cast them, but to 
select the episodes we were going to do because this week and next week's episode, um, we were doing two episodes in each. Sorry, that's confusing. Each episode of Corona Cold Reads has within it two scripts, two episodes of television. Because um, I think that the heart of Sorkin lies in his theater work and his television work. Film, you know, whatever. He's done some good stuff. But he is, you know, I think TV is really where his heart lies. Um, and so I think that it was interesting. What I really wanted to do was his TV work. So we're doing um, two episodes in each of these episodes, um, which meant that I had to pick exactly the right ones. Um, so in this, I guess I'm going to call them installments. In this installment of Corona Cold Reads, you're going to hear my very favorite episode of The West Wing. This was a very easy decision. I am a West Wing nut. I did not need to rewatch anything to know exactly what I wanted to do. Um, the episode is called 17 People. It's from season two, because of course it is, because season two of The West Wing is perfect. Um, and it is, the reason I think it's really good is because it feels a lot like a play. Um, I, it happens close to real time, if not in actually real time. It happens in just two locations. Uh, well, three, I guess, if you count when Sam and Ainsley go down to the mess hall. But it's largely two locations. Um, and it. I just think that it's it translates really beautifully to being read. Um, and it's just also one of my very favorite episodes. Every storyline is working within it. You've got the A story anchored by Toby, who is my favorite character on the West Wing. Um, and so uh, as you can, you'll, I will walk you through the cast list in a moment, but I've cast Scott Garland in that role because he is my West Wing person who I talked to West Wing about. And there was, and he's also one of my favorite actors and there was no one I was going to trust Toby with um, other than Scott Garland and similarly the other amazing character in this in this particular episode is Ainsley Hayes who's my favorite female character Sorkin's ever written um, and so I of course entrusted her to Nicole Falgu who is another West Wing lover and also a real life lawyer uh, so I thought she'd do a great job of articulating Ainsley's very challenging dialogue um, but I just love this episode. I think it works on so many levels. You've got that really challenging A story between Toby and the president where like things are going down in the Oval Office. And then you've got a really fun subplot happening where they're trying to punch up the Correspondence Day speech in the other room. You've got a really touching, beautiful story happening between Josh and Donna, who here are played by real life couple Elizabeth Ramirez and Olivia McCarger, also big West Wing fans. They were excited. They took time off work to come and play Josh and Donna because, I mean, it's Josh and on and 17 people it's got one of the most iconic lines in the show um then you've got sam uh is played by laura hubbard and she's met with uh ainsley who is nicole falgu and they are um they're they're having a really wonderful very challenging um uh, conversation that i think is really uh, one of sorkin's great um bipartisan efforts in terms of his his writing of a republican republican characters i think uh they do an amazing job they're joined in this episode uh by andrea thompson who guest stars as charlie young uh, weldon gory comes in as leo mcgarry miriam bachman is ed and hillary wardinger is larry um so pretty much all of these people are big west wing fans so um oh and shaylin mcfall is playing president bartlett i forgot to tell you that um because i picked her because she is the most gravitas of anyone i know um so she's going to be playing uh, president bartlett um so i hope you enjoy 17 people but before we get to 17 people we have to do studio 60 um when i decided to do sorkin television i wanted to do all of it and that means four shows 
And I know nobody likes Studio 60. Studio 60 really went downhill really fast. And I, I rewatched it for the first time since it aired um, in order to do this. And boy, because I thought maybe, you know, it's remembered as worse than it is. That pilot really is awesome. Maybe it's not that bad. It takes a big downturn after a few episodes and then it just never recovers. And it really is his worst work ever. However, the stuff in it that works, works beautifully. And there is this one episode in the first half of the, there's only one season, but it's, I don't remember how many episodes in, but it's maybe four or five into the first season. And there's this random episode called the long lead story. Um, and it uses a Sorkin structure that he is often successful in where they have a reporter or someone coming in and someone's having to tell them a story. Um, and I think this episode is really special. Christine Lottie played the, um, the reporter in the original who was Tommy Shlami's wife. And so she was just like a fantastic guest star. And this cast was actually really, really cool. And I think that if you go back and watch, you know, if you only watch two episodes of studio 60, I highly recommend you go back and watch the pilot and watch the long lead story. And I think maybe you'll change your mind at least somewhat about, um, there was, there was some potential there. It was squandered, but it was there. Um, so this cast, I'm going to walk you through, um, Martha O'Dell, who is the reporter is played by Elizabeth Morris. And then we have Danny Tripp is David Armstrong and Matt Albee is Mark Crater. So those are the two, um, central sort of bromance at the heart of the show. And they are some really wonderful characters. Um, we have Saya Floyd playing Tom Jeter and, uh, Simon Stiles is played by Andrea Thompson. And then Harriet Hayes is Alison Louder. And that is the trio of performers, the sort of SNL people. And one of the reasons why I think that this episode is really special is that it is the one true showcase of Harriet, um, who ended up being a terrible character. But this is the, the in this episode, I think that Sorkin really gets at a, a perspective and a type of person that he almost never writes. And I think he does it really beautifully. Uh, the part was originally played by Sarah Paulson and uh, Allison does a wonderful job here. So I hope you enjoy that part as well. Um, we also have a really good storyline for Jordan McDear in this, in this episode um, played here by Lee. She's uh, programming um, a, a new show for NBC as the president that feels a little bit like uh, Sorkin talking about the West wing, uh, which I think is pretty funny. Um, Cal Shanley, the director is played by Christopher Prentice. Um, we have Wilson White, who's the head of the network, is Olivia McCarger. Uh, Trevor Laughlin, who's an aspiring writer, is Miriam Bachman. Martin, who is a, a skeezy reality TV producer, is played by Dom Harvey, which I think is pretty fun. Um, I believe the character was British, actually, in the original TV show, as Dom is. But Dom is also a very prominent reality TV podcaster um, who does a lot of analysis and breakdown for reality TV in the real life. So I thought it would be funny to cast him here. Um, we have Robbie Hillary Wardinger, Alex Scott Garland, Suzanne Shailen McFall, the waitress Nicole Falgu. L Lauren Graham is played by Gabby Grice. She's the host of the show within the show that week. So that's uh, fun for Gilmore Girls fan Gabby Grice to play Lauren Graham. Lily is played by Melissa Wright. And quite hilariously, we have a cameo in this episode by Sting. And of course, that couldn't be played by anyone other than Laura Hubbard. So she's playing Sting um, in the first half of this installment and then switching over and playing Sam Seaborn. Uh, so <laughs> it's quite the arc for her. So I've now talked for a thousand years about uh, Studio 60 and the West Wing. So I'm going to shut up now and I hope that you enjoy these episodes uh, because I think they're pretty special and obviously just iconic Sorkin work. So enjoy.
Okay, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, the long lead story. Interior, Matt's office. Studio 60 head writer Matt Albee stares at his laptop as Martha, a reporter from Vanity Fair, sits quietly nearby, watching him, notepad in hand. Oh, holy mother of God, am I eating it. This would be a lot easier if you weren't staring at me. Huh? I said this would be a lot easier if you weren't staring at me. I bet it would. Yeah. You drawing a blank? Yeah. Isn't that the worst? Yeah. What are you going to do? What do you mean? To get going again. Well, I'm going to ask you to stop talking. Sure. Didn't help, did it? Yeah, no, I really need you to be someplace else. Total access or there's no story? I don't care if there's no story. I care if there's no show in 21 hours. Martha points at the giant clock behind Matt, counting down the time until their next live show. 20 hours, 38 minutes. Matt turns back to his computer. Computer. Martha sighs, puts down her notebook, and starts looking around. She lifts up the corner of an area rug. What are you doing? Just checking the make. For description. It's a 10,000-word piece. They're not all going to be winners. Martha stands and walks towards a corkboard with neatly pinned cue cards. Mm. The numbers in the corners of the cards, they're the running times of each sketch, right? Yeah. So you've got, what, 57.30 plus 5.20 for New 60 plus 7.45 for Sting. You've got an hour, 10 minutes, 35 seconds? Yeah. Only 19 minutes, 25 seconds more to write. There's a 30 commercial break. So, 15 minutes, 55 seconds. What are you, math girl? It's addition and subtraction, Matt. We're not doing a lot of advanced cryptography tonight. You've covered presidential campaigns. You've covered presidents. You've covered wars. What are you writing about a TV show for? What are you writing a TV show for? I'm not. I'm watching you dust my office for prints. I'm writing about it because what's happened here is important. I think what's happening here is important. I think popular culture in general, and this show in particular, are important. Tom Jeter enters wearing a giant lobster costume. Excuse me, wardrobe wanted me you to approve this? Yeah, it's good. Tom starts to leave. Hang on. Wait, that's supposed to be a lobster costume, right? Yeah. Yeah, then it's fine. Great. Tom exits. Matt. Yeah. You know, we don't know each other very well, but... You spent every hour with me for five days in a row. At this point, you know me better than my parents. I don't know your parents at all. I meant... I know what you... I was doing a dangling modifier joke. Yeah, I stopped doing that to people in high school after the fourth time I got stuffed in the locker. I was going to say that we don't know each other very well, but I am someone who can empathize. When I had broken up with somebody I really liked, I've had a hard time writing my column for months. I just lose interest in being interesting, and I'm not even under an obligation to be funny. Martha? Yeah? You're not going to suck me into a conversation about Harriet. I bet I will. 100 bucks. Done. Okay. Matt? Yeah? 20 hours, 35 minutes until airtime? Uh Uh-huh. 
cutting it a little close, isn't it? Yeah. So here's my question. Is the fear of failure on such a massive scale a helpful motivation? You really wouldn't rather be in Baghdad right now. No, but you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to spend some time with the cast. Harriet? She is a member of the cast. I like talking to you guys late at night. You get pretty dopey. Knock yourself out. The lobster sketch isn't funny yet. Uh, tell me something I don't know. What a word. He types on his laptop as Martha exits. I am eating it. Titles. Interior Restaurant, Studio 60 Executive Producer Danny Tripp and NBS Network President Jordan McDeer walk in and take a seat at a booth. She's wearing a baseball cap and a baggy sweatshirt. Good camouflage. No one would recognize you. I'm sorry I'm late. No problem. You coming from work? I'm coming from a meeting. I'm going to work. Meeting with who? Can't tell you. Why not? Because the second day stands for anonymous. That kind of meeting. This late. Any hour of the day. How can I help you? You know, there's nothing wrong with chatting for a second. We just did. There was a baseball cap and there was something else. Look. Maybe it's just a baseball cap. I really haven't done anything to win your respect. Who says I didn't respect you? Jordan, what do you need? You know Trevor Laughlin? I know him very well. He wrote a pilot script and it's good. It's called Nations. Each season takes place during a session of the UN. It looks like it should be unbearable, but it's not. It's energetic, it's tense, it's emotional, it's... I swear to God, it's funny. I've read it. And? I agree with everything you just said, except if I said it, I would have used more sophisticated adjectives. Good for you, HBO. I know that too. Were you having persuade him to come to NBS? No. No what? No, ma'am? A waitress approaches the table. Can I get you anything? Hi, what can I bring you? What are you having? Uh, Lipton tea. Shavers with ice, please. Waitress exits. Is that okay with you? What? Drinking in front of you. We're in a bar. You won't help me with Trevor Laughlin. No. Why? He should be at HBO. Why? HBO's better. Help me with Trevor Laughlin. This is a young play, right? Coming out of New York with a lot of promise. I start steering these guys wrong and you know what's going to happen? You lose your street cred. That's right. You have street cred? I do. Help me with this. I don't think the show is right for your network. Why? It's good. You're right. I can't imagine why I think you don't respect me. The waitress brings them their drinks. Here you go. Your scotch is here. Thank you. 
Look, you mind drinking alone? I should get back to the theater. Matt should be melting down right about now. No problem, Snoopy Lock. Danny throws some money on the table and exits. Interior studio, the cast and crew rehearse a sketch. Harriet Hayes is dressed as sensationalist legal commentator Nancy Grace. We hear the voice of the director, Cal Shanley, over the comm as Harriet delivers her lines. All right, settle. Mark it from the top. We have music. We have the Chiron and action. Welcome back. We continue to follow the horrifying Christy Lambert saga. VTR day seven, taken in the night, Christy Lambert. A young Meddington. A picture over the shoulder. College senior on a hard-earned break after six weeks of classes goes to the island of Martinique with three of her friends. Her cell phone goes missing. Hold, please. That's all I need. Cal leaves the control room in the hands of his AD, Lily. We should start the sound check. Wrap them. We're going to play some 17th century English folk songs out here. The cast is wrapped for the night. Standard calls in the morning. Check your call sheets. Martha is hanging around the stage. She catches Harriet still in her Nancy Grace costume as she walks by. Harriet. Hi. You got a minute? Uh, sure. It's a little late. Well, I'm gone for the next few weeks. I'll be covering some of the house races. Which ones? A couple where there are stories. A couple where there are just good jokes. <laughs> I know the feeling. Martha follows Harriet as she moves around backstage, changing out of her Nancy Grace costume. Nancy Grace catch is funny. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Simon and Jeannie have got very special timing, and Matt knows how to get it in their strike zone. I've spent most of the week with Matt, and I wanted to talk with you before I left. This will be the first of many conversations, so we don't have to do everything now. I, I know you want to get some sleep. Well, everyone here is a big fan of yours, Martha. Really? Yeah. How would I be referred to in your parents' house? The Devil's Whore from Washington. Yeah, actually, I'm the Devil's Whore from Bethesda. Suzanne, a production assistant, enters and hands Harriet a schedule. Thank you, Suzanne. Well, 16 years rundowns, they move to 10. They want to do my photo shoot at 8. Good for them. Lucky for them, my eight in the morning is my best look, so count me in. Suzanne exits. You know, if you want to talk to somebody, you should talk to her. Talk to the PAs. First mm. one's here, last one's to leave, 350 a week. I will. And the interns. Martha follows Harriet to the hair and makeup room. I was thinking that Harriet's an unusual name. Yeah. It's from another generation. Mm, it's my middle name. I'm Hannah Harriet Hayes. My mother named me after Hannah in the Old Testament, who prayed to God that if he gave her a child, that she would give the child back to God. And my mother had had six boys before she had me, so she was pretty psyched. Why'd you change it? There was already a Hannah Hayes in the union. And you're a Southern Baptist. Martha, hasn't enough been written about my religion? As a matter of fact, I've done a lot of searches and hardly anything has. Sort of generic references are made to your being Christian, but in a tabloid context. Listen, you work in Washington, I work in Hollywood, but you'll have to take my word for it. In most other places in the world, the fact that I believe in God wouldn't be noteworthy. Yeah, but you do work in Hollywood. 
I'm not the only one at my church on Sunday morning, and our church isn't the only church in town. Yeah, but you're the only one who stars in a late-night sketch comedy show whose staple is attacking the religious right. That's an overstatement. Hmm, Crazy Christmas, Science Schneins, The Weather with Pat Robinson, Robertson? I'm sorry Pat Robertson has taken to predicting the weather and boasting of being able to lift a Lincoln Navigator. That's not attacking religion, that's attacking preposterousness. Would you have a problem doing a sketch about premarital sex? I don't have a problem with premarital sex. Might be the only sex I ever have. And I just gave you your pull quote, so can I go home? Two more minutes, okay? You're not going to get me to talk about Matt. Yeah, Matt already bet me $100 that I couldn't get him to talk about you. I mean, I'll talk about his writing, or I'll talk about him as a boss. You know, I just spent five days with him. I wanted to talk to you. I wanted to talk about you. Is there, is there a way you can do that where you don't make me sound like a narcissistic twit? Are there good actors and bad actors? Yes. Good directors and bad directors? Yes. There are good reporters and bad reporters. Which do you think I am? Harriet pauses, then opens the door to her dressing room and invites Martha in. What would you like to know? Where were you born? Brighton, Michigan. And you've got six older brothers? Yeah. What do your parents do? Oh, they're both dead. Harriet <laughs> quietly takes off her shoes and sits cross-legged on the dressing room couch. My father worked in a paper processing plant, and my mother was a secretary in a doctor's office. You were close with your mother? You don't need to write any of this down. No. Uh, my father wasn't very religious. And neither were my brothers, but my mother used to take us to church every Sunday. What church? Antioch Baptist Church. What could it possibly matter? I'm sorry, I'm tired. Antioch Baptist Church. The luck my mother never had winning her sons to Christ, she found with me. I was memorizing whole passages of scripture by the time I was six. Really? Mm-hmm. I won a contest to see who could name all 66 books of the Bible. Can you still do it? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. How did you get into comedy? Uh, nobody wanted to hire me as a ballerina. Seriously? I'm serious. I've danced since I was four. And sang. And sang. So how did you get into comedy? I liked Julie Holiday. Really? Really. I watched Bells Are Ringing until I wore out the tape, and then I bought another one with my allowance. Did your mother mind? Oh, she encouraged it. She'd quote the Psalms, He who sits high in heaven shall laugh. It was a small house, seven kids, a devout mother, and a far from devout father who'd started to drink when he was laid off from the paper plant. I was good at diffusing tension. My mother put me in church plays, and one time I just went up on a line, and the cover I broke into a Judy Holiday impression, and they were stunned, stunned 
silence until the minister burst out laughing. And I looked, and I saw the pride on my mother's face, and I told her I was ready to accept Christ and I was baptized. <laughs> you became a Christian and a comedian at the same time. Roughly. <laughs> I got an academic scholarship to study music at Rutgers, and I come into the city a lot and go to the comedy clubs. Then I got another scholarship to get a master's in music at Kansas, but I went to Chicago instead. Swept the floors at Second City. <laughs> then I came to LA, started interning with the Groundlings, started getting some stage time. And one night, a guy came up to me and said, my name's Danny Tripp. I'm a segment producer at Studio 60, and I think you should come in and audition for Wes Mendel. It was Danny who found you. Yeah. Not Matt. Harriet's attention is caught by a sound off camera. Hang on. Harriet gets up and turns up the speaker, piping the sound from the, sounds from the stage. What's that? It's a lute. A lute. Mm, the instrument. They're doing Sting's sound check. He's got a classical album coming out, and he plays the lute. Sting is in the building right now? He's on stage. Sting is upstairs right now playing a lute. You want to go watch? Harriet, you're interesting, but get out of my way. Harriet hurries out. Martha hurries out. Harriet follows her. Interior stage. Sting is on stage playing a lute and singing. Come again, sweet love, doth now invite thy graces that... No, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And... <clears throat> Sting sings Come Again as Martha watches from the side of the stage. Come again, sweet love, doth now invite thy Martha graces that refrain. To do instrument. me do delight to sting see, or the lute to hear, <laughs> to touch to kiss to die one last thing the again in sweetest sympathy this will be it to sing see, things a little bit quieter hear, to touch to kiss <laughs> to die okay with the again in Matt wasn't a star around here until you showed up. I checked around. I looked at old scripts. He'd been here a couple of years, but he'd hardly gotten anything on the air. There are people who were here then who don't even remember who he was. No, no, he didn't break out until you came on the show. You came on the show and suddenly he's getting everything on the air and most of it is for you. As a result of which, you went from saying, may I take your order in a restaurant sketch to being the star. Obviously, that can be a coincidence. Was it? Martha. I'm not writing a love story. I'm just asking. My mother got cancer when I was 15 and I said, no. How can you Smile. I never ask God why me when the good things happen. My joy to grow. You don't question when the good things. You don't question why the good things happen. Music stop. Thank you.
Great. Sting, thank you, sir. Uh, painless as always, Calvin. Thank you. I'll tell you what, though. I'm getting tired of all the loot players getting all the great women. That's uh, who I took it out just to compete. I'll see you tomorrow. Get some sleep. Uh, let them fellas go home. Oh, hear that? Sting just said let these guys go home. I'll see you tomorrow. She turns to leave. Hannah. Harriet turns back. It was a coincidence. When you're as good as Matt, you don't stay a secret very long. I just got there when it happened. Okay. All right. Great. See you tomorrow. She turns to leave again, but Martha calls after her. How are you different from your mother? I hope in as few ways as possible. Harriet leaves. Martha scrambles through the pockets of her sweater. Tom, Tom walks by in a lobster suit. You need something? Pen. I need a pen. Tom checks his lobster suit for pockets. Uh, no. Martha sighs and runs off. Interior office. A slick British producer is pitching a new reality show to Jordan and her boss, Jack Rudolph. Search and destroy. We've been keeping the title under wraps for fairly obvious reasons. The game is as follows. Five engaged couples living together for 12 weeks in a mansion in South Beach. While they're preparing to get married, we and the other couples are trying to break them up. Sounds like Temptation Island? It's not. Why? Because instead of trying to break them up by dangling the possibility of inconsequential sex with some exotic partner, we're going to break them up with the truth. Thank An you. assistant love. brings Martin a coffee. He barely interrupts his well-rehearsed speech. The show is based on the notion that no one's private life can withstand public scrutiny. We'll see that hypothesis put to the test. We will use the best private investigators to dig up information on our couples they haven't disclosed to one another. Anything from infidelity to infertility to the addiction to internet pornography. If Sarah and Bob are a Catholic couple, we may find out that Sarah had an abortion when she was younger. Martha's agent. In fact, maybe the baby was Bob's. But here's where I think the beauty lies. Rather than filming each episode months in advance and signing the contestants to secrecy agreements, we will be filming each episode in the week that it airs. My post-production team can cut and mix a show in 24 hours. The result? The media itself will be a part of the game. Rumor will work as well as truth. The couple that survives until the end will receive a lavish wedding, the house in South Beach, and one million dollars. Search and destroy. That's our show. Martin sits back, pleased with himself. <laughs> I don't know, Martin. Uh... One of these days, you're going to come up with a good idea. The genre, my client, right here. No argument there. Robbie and Martin stand to leave. Jack glad hands them on their way out. Four hours to get the bid together, Jordan. Thank you. Today to 6 p.m. Saturday, not Monday. There's been some confusion. 24 hours. Thank you all for coming in today. We appreciate it. And Martin, very nice to meet you. Same here. And Trina, you're well of the storm. Sure. They leave. Jack turns to Jordan with a stern voice. Hey. Yeah. You know, you could have... Um... <laughs> what? Love them up a little more? Yeah. Seriously, they're walking to the elevator saying they weren't feeling it. I'll call Robbie and make it okay, but half your job description is being disarm disarmingly seductive, and I wasn't seeing uh, a lot of it. We're not baiting on it. Well, they weren't pitching us. We were pitching them. And when they sit down to make their decision, they're going to factor in... What? 
I'm not betting on it. What are you talking about? I'm passing. She leaves the office. Jack follows her down the hall. On what? On what? On Masterpiece Theater. You're not kidding. No. Look, you may have a problem with the show. I do. But it's going to be a hit. It is, except for somebody else. Jordan, I don't... What are you saying? Well, I'm saying for the fifth time now, I'm saying I'm passing. You... Look, are letting a personal episode inform your judgment? Jack, I don't live my life in episodes. On a business decision. Whatever you want to call it then, the man and his shows do nothing but make money. You're getting taken out for a walk by the tabloids, by your ex, by the Christian right. I, I get it. You don't get it. If I want to fillet me, that's fine. That's the cost of doing business. I'm fine. Really? Yes. When was the last time you slept four consecutive hours? This show... is toxic. It's bad crack in the schoolyards, and we're just three weeks from being removed from Wes Mandela taking 53 seconds and destroying an unparalleled, unparalleled legacy in television to tell us to go. We're honoring Wes's memory. That's what we're... A contest to save his private lives can withstand public scrutiny. How interesting that couple must be. But here's where I think the beauty lies. Now we all get to be the unctuous British gossip bitches. Maybe it was Bob's baby. Well, I'm sorry I'm bigfooting you on this one. We're making the bid, and we're making the bid we planned. Mm, then you've got a problem, Jack, because you haven't read my contract. I only get to greenlight up to 1.2 million on my own, but I can reject whatever I want, and only Wilson White can say otherwise. Be in my office at nine o'clock to see Wilson White. I can't. There's a writer I'm trying to get from HBO, and I've invited him to watch Studio 60 with me tonight in the box. Then you have a problem, Jordan, because you haven't seen the sign on my door that says, Chairman, be in my office at nine o'clock. Don't slam the door. Interior stage, Harriet's fellow cast member, Jeannie, and guest host, Lauren Grammer, in a sketch set in a park. Harriet plays Jenny, caught between the other two, who both have baby strollers with them. Jenny, you gotta have a baby. Oh. Jeannie says you gotta have one now. Well, sure, I'm hoping to one day. Not one day, right now. This minute. Guys! You can't imagine how fulfilling it is. You can't. The fulfillment is beyond comprehension. I feel like a woman. You finally feel like a woman. I feel like a woman. You can't. It's impossible. You think you feel like a woman. But you don't. You think you feel fulfilled. But you're not. You know what you need to do is freeze your eggs. I'm sorry? You have a shelf life, Jenny. You're getting older every second right there while I was talking. You got older. <gasps> a sitcom theme song plays over explaining the joke of the sketch we just saw. The audience applause and Tom comes out to talk to them as the crew clears the stage behind it. Hi, folks. Hi, it's my turn to thank you very much for being a terrific rehearsal audience. Yeah, you deserve it. Uh, we need to ask you to stay for another two minutes and 20 seconds because 
Believe it or not, we rehearsed saying goodnight and we also rehearsed the two minute and 20 second commercial break. Um, in the meantime, I can tell you what's happening right now. Danny Tripp has gone upstairs to Matt Albee's office where the two of them will very quickly decide what makes it onto the show tonight. We call this the Friday night slaughter because uh, this is where you find out if you have a chance to be the next Bill Murray or the next Domino's pizza guy. Interior Matt's office. Danny enters to find Matt flinging darts at the cork board with the rundown of the night sketches. 12.45 long. Let's get Cal first. Cal and Lily come in behind Danny. Suzanne brings them food. Yeah, I'm here. I got 12.45 heavy. That's what it is. I'd like to move Nancy Grace up. I think it's the best we got tonight. If you move Nancy Grace up, you have to move couples counselor down. Why? Tunnels two and five. I can't reposition the cameras. We've got to rebuild this theater. Well, we're on TV in an hour and five minutes, so I don't think now is the best time. Al-Qaeda Culinary Institute? Cut it. Tom Jeter's metric conversion. I don't think he was that attached to it anyway. What does that leave us with time? We still need another four minutes. Sign language? Yeah. And uh, Jenny doesn't have a baby. It was good. No, it wasn't. It was almost good. Interior backstage. A monitor shows the cast on stage rehearsing the good nights at the end of the show. Good night, everybody. Suzanne waits backstage to talk to Tom. Tom? Yeah. Can I talk to you a second? Yeah. I did something really stupid. What? I feel like an idiot. Well, I spent most of the week in a lobster costume, so you're talking to the right guy. Martha O'Dell wanted to talk to me, and the press office said it was okay. She was asking me about some things, and I told her the story about how Matt went down to Roxy to get one of the bombshell babes. And Suzanne. To sign a boot uh, to make Harriet jealous. Why? I thought it was a charming story. I thought it made Matt look really sweet, but then as soon as it was done, I realized I completely betrayed this guy who I worshipped. You know, it wouldn't kill you to worship me. Tom. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. How? Don't worry about it. You should go eat. Suzanne smiles sheepishly at Tom, then walks away. Tom shakes his head and goes to his dressing rooms. Interior catwalk. Danny is looking for Matt. He acknowledges a crew member as he walks by. Good show. He finds Matt sitting above the stage, chugging a Red Bull. Hey, I'm gonna cut. I'm gonna pitch cutting couples counselor and putting back Jenny doesn't have a baby, and it's for this reason. If we keep putting sketches that the host is in, we're gonna have a hard time getting a host. We're gonna have a hard time getting a host if the show isn't funny. It is funny. She was making it work. I don't her to have it make it work. I want it to work when it's handed to her. Them, you know, the whole, the whole cast. I want it to work when it's handed to them. You know what we're gonna do tonight at the wrap party, Danny. We're going to find you your rebound girl, an intermezzo uh, cleansing of the palate. We're not looking for a girl with a PhD in string theory or anything, okay? There'll be at least half a dozen women there who've been on the cover of FHM. That's for you right now. Really? Trust me. Trust my face. You are twice divorced. And you have no one in my life at the moment. And you have been for, for quite some time. Yeah. Okay. 
They look down over the stage as the dress rehearsal audience shuffles out. We'll cut, Jenny. Cast and crew, one hour to air. One hour to air, please. Danny looks around at the complicated series of catwalks and lighting grids that surround them. We really are going to rebuild this theater. Okay, well, I'm going to rewrite three sketches and I'll go grab my tool belt and get on that. Thanks. Matt leaves. Danny takes in his surroundings. All right, here we go. Uh, barn, let's put on a show. Interior Tom's office. Tom is watching a movie working on an impression. They teach you how to cheat, huh? There's a knock at the door. Come in. Martha sticks her head in. Hi. Hello. Uh, words out, you were looking for me? Yes, thank you. Uh, sit down. Martha takes a seat. She's still wearing her headset from watching re dress rehearsal. You talked to one of our PAs, Suzanne. Yes, uh, Harriet suggested it. Yes. Uh, she's not used to getting interviews, and you're a very intimidating presence. Uh-huh. She told you that last week Matt went to the Roxy to see a friend of his who's one of the bombshell babies. To get her to sign a stiletto boot for Harriet as retaliation for Harriet giving him a baseball bat with Darren Wells' phone number on it. Yes. Um, she feels very bad about revealing that confidence. And while I'm not asking you to not write it, I'm okay. going to ask you for a favor. What? I just told you that story. Right now. Attribute it to me and not Suzanne. That's very gentlemanly of you. Well, I'm kind of the one who told him to do it. Which, by the way, he didn't end up doing. He didn't give her the boot. He thought better of it. Tom's castmate Simon Stiles walks in. Simon is on mute. Metric conversion went good. Simon stops talking when he recognizes Martha. Simon, you got a minute. For a rectal probe? Sure. Hang on, uh, excuse us for just one second. Tom and Simon step into the hall. I just want to bring you up to speed on something. Suzanne told Martha about Matt and Harriet and Darren Wells and the bombshell babies. Why the hell would she do that? Oh, because she's young and inexperienced and she didn't know any better. So here's what I did. What? I confirmed it. Just because you're stupid. Martha thought it was gentlemanly. Matt's going to use a different word. I'm taking the hit for Suzanne. All right. Well, how much does she know? I don't know. Does she know about the 700 Club? I, I don't know. Does she know about Jenny? I really don't know. Let me tell you something. I am the only one in this whole organization that knows how to handle the press. They know exactly what I want them to know. Nothing more. I operate like an international spy. They walk back into Tom's office where Martha is waiting. Okay, so I got a few minutes. What do you want to know about when I was in the gang? I want to know about the Star Spangled Banner, the 700 Club, and Jeannie. She points to the headset she's still wearing. Hmm. You're still Mike's Madhari. Damn. Yeah. Okay, so you broke us. Yeah, it's not exactly cracking the Alger Hiss case with you guys, you know what I mean? Interior office. Jack is pouring a scotch for his boss, Wilson White. Jordan stands with her arms crossed. 
Woe is in Beijing, sir. Please don't call me sir. I'm sorry. I wasn't in Beijing. I was in Macau, which is about 1,200 miles south, and it's experienced 20% growth in two years. There's an American consortium, including TMG, Steve Wynn, MGM Grand, and we're investing $20 billion in Macau to turn it into the Las Vegas of Asia. I started as an intern on the Danny Thomas show, and on Monday, I'm going to start to build a city in China. Talk fast. I've been on a plane for 20 hours. Uh, we're in a bidding war for an unscripted series from Martin Sykes, who made a lot of money for every network but ours. It will be a prohibitive hit. It will be impossible to counter-program. Whoever gets it will own the night. They'll have Boardwalk and Park Place. There's a 24-hour prohibitive window. The meter has been running for three hours. I want it. Sales wants it. Jordan's exercising a clause in her contract which allows her to reject the program, save for your intervention. What's the problem? It's disgusting. I need more than that. It's patently disgusting. It appeals to the very worst in our nature and whoever airs it will play a measurable role in subverting our national culture. It doesn't belong in anyone's air. Certainly not ours. At a time where we're trying to rebrand the network as a place for high-end viewers, I swear to God, sir, the better our shows are, the more money we're going to make. I just told you not to call me, sir. Wilson pauses, sipping his drink. He turns to Jack. If you want her to cook the meal, you got to let her shop for the groceries. Anything else? No. Tell your kids to learn Mandarin. Wilson hands his glass back to Jack and exits. Who said that? Who said what? If you want me to cook the meal, you gotta let me shop for the groceries. Bill Parcells. Who's that? A football coach who hasn't won a playoff game in nine years. Interior stage. The cast is performing a sketch about a fake daytime talk show. Alex's Nicolas Cage impression is dead on. And we're back. I'm Nicholas Cage, your couple's counselor, and I'm here with Mindy and Jack. Jack! Before the commercial, we were talking about... The camera pans to News 60 desk where Simon and Harriet are preparing to anchor the news. Washington Post reports that the Army is launching a military theme park in Virginia. The project is expected to cost $900,000 million and none of the rides will ever end. Simon? Harry, listen, something's happened. What? Well, you know your... I guess your personal life. Yeah. Well. What did you idiots tell Martha Odell? For what it was worth, it started out as a gentlemanly act. We hear the audio of Alex's Nicolas Cage sketch ending as Simon turns away to let the makeup person do some finishing touches. And that's all the time we have on Nicolas Cage Couples Counselor. Tune in next week when our theme will be Losing the Passion. It's not me, it's her. Danny, who is watching the show from the floor, communicates with Cal in the control room. Yes, sir. I got us right on the money. That's where we are. Hey, I'm looking up at the box and I don't see any deer. You think she fell out of love with us? It happens sometimes, people change. Hey, give her a break tonight if you see her. I got people telling me Luce, uh, Les Moonves got the new Martin Sykes show. She lost the bid? She didn't make the bid. 
What do you mean? She passed. Really? Jack Rudolph's wandering the streets, so no one in LA is safe tonight. Okay. Interior, Matt's office. Matt is watching the show, holding the baseball bat Harriet gave him. Martha walks in. Matt, I'm off to catch the red eye. I'll see you in a couple weeks. Have a good flight. Is that the bat? What bat? (laughs) I'll say this about you guys. You look out for each other. You're not very good at doing it, but it's nice to see the effort. Even Harriet, when I mentioned your pathological dislike of the religious right, she jumped to your defense. You broke up with her because she went on the 700 Club to promote her album? What are you writing about, Martha? I don't know yet. I know that half this country hates the other half. And I know that for 90 minutes a week, you and Harriet come together. You were here for two years before anybody knew your name. Harriet got here, and you both broke at the same time. I wasn't a hack. I didn't say you were. I had a one act at the Humana Festival in Louis- Louisville and another at EST. That's the Ensemble Theater in New York. That's, those are two very important stages. I know them both. Matt writes a check and hands it to Martha. What's this for? I was trying to impress Harriet. That's how I broke. No kidding. Sadly, I can't cash this for ethical reasons, but I will pin it to my bulletin board along with the others. I'll see you in a couple weeks. Matt shakes Martha's hand as she leaves. He turns back to watch the rest of the show. Two minutes until we're back, everyone. Two minutes until we're back. Interior executive box above the Studio 60 stage. A young man, Trevor, stands alone watching the show. Jordan enters and shakes his hand. Trevor. Hi. I'm so sorry to make you wait. I I hope you told you that was just a... Sure, yeah. Thanks. Uh, Are they doing good tonight? I think it's their best show yet. Good. Good. I I want nations on NBS, Trevor. It means a lot to me that you liked the script, but the bottom line is that I don't think my show will find an audience on your network. I think HBO is where people expect to find more literate programming. Yeah, I I can't remember which Jane Austen novel was Taxi Cab Confessions adapted from. Sure, I meant that... And as far as finding an audience, that's my job. You wrote an off-Broadway play about Pericles when he was mayor of Athens. Yeah. And Pericles said, all things good should flow into the boulevard. Your show's good, Trevor. It should be on American broadcast television for free and seen by as many people as possible. There's nothing wrong with the medium, just some of the content, and there's only one way to change that. Danny walks in and interrupts them. Excuse me. Danny! How are you folks? Good. Yes, aren't you producing the show right now? Yes, aren't you? Yeah, but uh, come here. Let me talk to you for a second. Danny pulls Trevor aside and whispers in his ear. Great. Thanks. He turns back to Jordan. Okay, you got it. Got what? Uh, The show. I'd be happy to do it at NBS. Why? He just told me to. Trevor exits, leaving Danny standing quietly in Jordan's doorway. 
What was that for? Passing on Martin Sykes. I do a whole speech about Pericles of Athens, and you just come in and say, do it, and he he does it. Secret. Danny exits, and Jordan turns back to the show. Uh, stand by. We're back in five, four, three, two. Interior stage. Lauren Graham is introducing the musical guest. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Sting. <laughs> Sting begins to sing Fields of Gold. Interior, Matt's office. Harriet comes up behind Matt as he watches Sting. You'll you remember me. When How do you even find a lute teacher? Matt turns and takes in her costume, a formal red and black dress with her hair in waves. Wow. That's for society gal car wash. Harriet joins Matt overlooking the stage as Sting sings. I didn't think he was going to do this one. I asked him to. It's like telling a rock legend what to sing and having him sing. I, I don't tell him. I asked him. I like this song. It uh, reminds me of something. Will he Matt looks at Harriet and she smiles. Will you be my love? No, Martha O'Dell's got her name right. Uh, Harriet, I don't even know. Will he get the sun in his jealous sky as we lie in fear? Dan Wells is meeting me at the rap party. <laughs> Danny's determined to fix me up with a model from Cars and Chicks Quarterly. Long beat of silence passes between them. Harriet touches Matt's suit jacket, straightening it for him. Harriet walks away, leaving Matt alone. But I swear in the days still left, we'll walk in fields of gold. And here we took a little intermission, which I'm going to cut out for you. So right on to the West Wing, 17 people. Um, okay. 17 people from the West Wing. Teaser. We end previously on the West Wing with the shot from the Stackhouse filibuster of Toby alone in his office, bouncing the ball against the wall. We fade to black for the title card. And from black, we hear the ball bouncing against the wall. And again, fade in. Interior Toby's office, night. Title, the same night. Toby's working on something in his head as he methodically bounces the ball against the wall. Two bounces, three bounces. Then he catches the ball and holds it for a long moment. Then he bounces it again and we fade out. Title, two nights later. Fade in, interior Toby's office, night. A crumpled piece of paper banks into a small trash can. Then another one. Fade out. Title, two nights after that. Fade in, interior Toby's office night. Toby's typing away at his computer, working off some reference material on his desk. But then a nagging thought distracts him and he stops. He looks out his window across the darkened, unpopulated bullpen in Roosevelt room and he sees a light is on in Leo's office. What the hell? He gets up and we cut to interior Leo's office night. Leo's working at his desk as Toby appears in the doorway. Leo? Hey, I didn't know you were still here. Yeah. What's going on? I've been thinking about why Hoynes volunteered to slap down Big Oil. It was his polling information. Yeah, but why did he put the poll in the field at all is what I'm saying. 
John Hoynes is an egomaniac who needs to be told what people think of him. Well, that's pretty un pretty unusual for Washington. Yeah. Leo, has there been a discussion in some room, someplace, anywhere on any level about Hoynes being dropped from the ticket in 2002? No. You sure? Yeah. Because I thought maybe it was an Eisenhower-Nixon thing. No, Toby, I wouldn't give it a lot of thought. Okay. Fade out. Title, the next night. We hear the bouncing ball. Fade in. Interior Toby's office, night. The wheels are still turning. Fade out. Title, the next morning. Fade in. Interior Leo's office, Margaret's office, early morning. As Leo flicks a light switch, revealing Toby sitting there and waiting. Hey. Scared the hell out of me. The poll Hoynes put in the field. Hoynes is going to run for president one day. Why shouldn't he do his own polling? He's going to run for president six years from now. What good does last week's do? I really don't know. Okay. Fade out. Title, that night. From the black, we hear. It's never happened before, right? Fade in. Interior Interior Leo's office night. Toby stands in his overcoat, ready to go home. No. A vice president would never challenge a sitting president for the nomination. Of course not. You see the itinerary for the weekend? Who? The vice president. I don't keep tabs on... He's giving a speech at a semiconductor plant. The title of the speech is Clean Air Industry in the High-Tech Corridor of the Industrial Northeast. Where? Nashua, New Hampshire. And Toby's got Leo's attention. Toby. Nobody and particularly not Hoynes, would be naive enough. What what I mean to say is that if he's going to New Hampshire for the reason you're thinking, he would mask it with something. It It wouldn't be an official trip. He'd make up a benign excuse to be there. I know. So why are you concerned about the speech? Because it comes in the middle of a three day camping trip to Killington. Toby's staring straight at Leo. Why does Hoynes think the president isn't gonna run again? Toby has him in check. What's going on, Leo? The two of them keep staring at each other and staring and staring. And we smash cut to the main titles. One, fade in. Exterior, the White House, night. Title, the West Wing, 11.35 p.m. Interior, the Oval Office, night. Bartlett's at his desk reading a briefing book. Leo comes in from his office. Excuse me, Mr. President? I closed the embassies in Tanzania and Brussels. What about domestic? I don't have to make that call yet. How much time do you have? About an hour. Mr. President, I've got Toby waiting in his office right now. Why? We've got to tell him. Tell him what? 
Leo doesn't say anything. And now for the first time, Bartlett lifts his head from the briefing book. We've got to tell him. What happened? He got curious when Hoynes volunteered to step in for Bill Trotter, and then more curious when he found out it was because Hoynes put a pole in the field. Yeah. Now he's camping in Killington, Vermont, with a quick stop Come in on. New Hampshire, and Toby's not an idiot. He is not. None of them are. Bartlett and Leo looking at each other. He scheduled a trip to New Hampshire? High-tech corridor of the Northeast. Yeah, thanks to who? What does that matter right now? Bartlett closes the briefing book and thinks, and picks up the briefing book and slams it down on his desk. I think you got to see this as an opportunity. To do what? To gauge reaction. You think Toby's reaction is going to be the same as the public's? I meant the staff. Which will be? I'm sorry, sir? The staff's reaction will be what? I don't know. Shock? Betrayal? Confusion? Concern about our future? I, I don't know. What do I tell him? Everything. Okay. Yes, sir. Leo exits. Bartlett's left alone. Now it starts. Interior, Sam's office night. Sam and Josh are both sitting and reading copies of a brief speech. Hmm. Yes. Sam finishes first and puts the speech down. Well. Then Josh finishes. You know what the problem with this is? Yes. Supposed to be funny. And yet it's not. Nope. Who worked on this? Uh, Jay Breach, Janet Lipman, Andy Kyle worked on it a little. You know what they did? Yeah. They forgot to bring the funny. Yeah. How much time do we have? Uh, I want to show it to him within the hour. Josh gets up and opens the door and walks out into the communications bullpen where he stands in Toby's open doorway. Toby's sitting at his desk. Toby. Yeah. Uh, Sam and I are going to stay and punch up some of the jokes for the correspondence dinner. Yeah, I read it. They forgot the funny. Yeah. You want to stay? Where are you going to be? We'll find a place. I'll hook up with you in a little bit. What's going on? Leo comes by. Toby? Yeah? Toby gets up from his desk and follows Leo out to the bullpen. Josh watches them go as Donna comes through. Hello. How you doing? With her. They walk out into the corridor. I'm doing fine. Did you get the flowers? Yes, I did. Did you like them? They were very pretty. Do you know why I sent them? I know why you think you sent them. It's our anniversary. They walk into the lobby. The place is empty except for the security guard at the desk and maybe one at the door. No, it's not. I'm the sort of guy who remembers those things. No, you're the sort of guy who sends a woman flowers to be mean. You're really the only person I've ever met who can do that. I'm quite something. Yes. I sent them to mark an occasion. And what occasion would that be? They walk into Josh's bullpen, fairly, also fairly deserted. Maybe one or two people working late with the desk lamps on. Our anniversary. I started working for you in February. This is April, and you're an idiot. Well, you started working for me once in February, and then you stopped for a while. Yes. 
Then you started working for me again in April. That's the one I choose to celebrate because that's the only one where you started working for me and it wasn't followed by you not working for me, but rather going back to your boyfriend. And how in comparison to that and him, you can call me mean is simply another in a long series of examples of how- Oh, you shut up. Honest to God, do you ever get tired of the sound of your own voice? No, no, no. What are you doing now? Uh, Sam and I are going to punch up the thing for tomorrow. Hey, we need funny people. Yeah. You know any? See, right there was a joke. The oldest joke in the book. I'll say. Hey, you know what, Ado Annie? I sent you flowers. I think what you're trying to say is, thank you, Josh. They're beautiful. How very thoughtful of you. Not many bosses would have been that thoughtful. Really? Because I think what I was trying to say was shove it. Okay, well, I guessed wrong. You want me to help with the thing? Yes, I do. Because you're such an hysterically funny person. Do you notice how I used Anne there properly? Yes, I did. Crack me up. There are times. Yeah. When, to put it quite simply, I hate your breathing guts. So the flowers really did the trick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they walk out as Toby and Leo sit and wait in Mrs. Lanningham's office after a moment. Did you see the draft for the correspondence dinner? Yeah. It's not funny. Sam's going to work on it. Toby, take it easy in there, okay? Before Toby can respond, the Oval Office door opens from the inside and Charlie steps out. Charlie tells him they can go in. Toby and Leo get up and walk into the Oval Office, where Bartlett is making himself a drink. Uh, hey, Toby. You want a drink? Uh, no, thank you, sir. I'm, I'm fine. Have a drink with me. Sure. Bourbon, no ice? Thank you. You know what I just found out recently? To be called bourbon, it has to be from Kentucky. Otherwise, it's just sour mash. Yeah. Bartlett puts Toby's drink on the table as well as some club soda for Leo. At some point, he'll go back and get his own drink. An Algerian-born terrorist named Ridan Nassam was arrested at the Canadian border yesterday with a U-Haul containing two, 10 two-ounce jars full of nitroglycerin and a nine-volt detonating device. And you don't allow that kind of thing in Yosemite? No. Anyway, on advice from state and intelligence, I closed the embassies in Tanzania and Brussels. What about the FAA? They want me to order the airports to heighten security. I don't know, it's a holiday weekend. Toby, I gotta tell you something. Does the FAA have to present evidence of a credible threat? Yeah. How do they do that? I don't know, they do it. Look. Is there, excuse me, sir, is, is there a time frame about an hour toby around 10 years ago for a period of a few months i was feeling run down and had a pain in my leg and both eventually subsided but then eight years ago the pain came back as well as numbness my vision would get blurry sometimes and i'd get dizzy during an eye exam, the doctor detected abnormal pupil responses and ordered an MRI. Radiologists found plaques on my brain and spine. 
I have relapsing remitting course of MS. Toby looks at Bartlett for the longest time. Bartlett's hanging in there. I'm sorry, sir. I have multiple sclerosis, Toby. And with this, Bartlett has come back to the chair and set the bourbon bottle on the table as we fade to black. End of act one. Act two, fade in the Oval Office night. Bartlett, Leo and Toby are exactly where they were. They're giving Toby a moment to digest this. It's, go it's gonna take more than a moment. There's a long tense silence between them. What does relapsing remitting mean? I'm sorry? What, what does relapsing remitting mean? It's, uh, I don't know how to, it's the good kind of MS. It's the good kind. Yeah. As opposed to the secondary progressive. Which is the bad kind. Yeah. I don't know how much you, let me talk to you like you're stupid for a second. Yeah. MS is a chronic disease of the central nervous system. Symptoms can be as mild as numbness or as severe as paralysis. And loss of vision? Yeah. And cognitive function? Yeah. Is it, I'm sorry, is, is it fatal? No. That's the good news. The bad news is there's no cure. Yeah, that I knew. Does relapsing, remitting... Ever turn into secondary progressive? Yeah. Sure. Is there any way of telling if it's going to? No. Okay. I, I, I'd like to stand up. Can I stand? Yeah. Sure. Toby gets out of his chair. No one says anything for a moment then. Excuse me. Toby hustles for the portico door. He steps out of the portico and falls to his knees at the hedges and throws up. Bartlett and Leo know this isn't the moment to be patronizing, so neither of them moves to help. After a moment, Charlie enters. Mr. President? Yeah? You wanted a call from Mr. Gareth at the FAA? Charlie, could you put it through to my office? Yes, sir. Charlie exits. Go take it in my office. Bartlett waits a moment, then gets up and goes into Leo's office. Leo's alone, looks out the window at Toby. We cut to Ainsley's office, night. Ainsley's working at her desk in a relaxed clothes, sweatshirt, jeans, maybe a baseball cap turned backwards. There's a shout from upstairs in the hallway. Ainsley! Ainsley doesn't even look up. A shout comes a little closer. Ainsley! Ainsley ignores it. Finally, Sam has made his way down to her office. Ainsley! Sam. Didn't you hear me shouting? Yes, I did. And, and I chose to ignore it. Because? You were shouting. You're adorable. Get ill-adored. Go figure. Yep. What are you doing? I'm going up to Smith College tomorrow. Why? My alma mater. Reunion? No, the Women's Studies Department is having a panel on resurrecting the ERA. Who's on the panel? Rebecca Walker, Gloria Steinem, Ann Coulter, Naomi Wolf. You know, something like 40% of all women oppose the ERA, and in my entire life, I've never met one of them. Easily looks at Sam a moment, then extends her hand. 
Ainsley Hayes, how you doing? You're not. Yes. You're not. Yes. You're not, you're not, you're not one of those people. Sam, if the, by those people you're referring to Episcopalians. You're going to go back to Smith College, the cradle of feminism to argue in opposition to the Equal Rights Amendment? And get some decent pizza, yeah. They're gonna hate you. Sam, I'm a straight Republican from North Carolina. You don't think they hated me the first time around? Yeah. What are you doing? I want to punch up some jokes for the correspondence dinner, and I'm looking for people left in the building who are funny. I couldn't find any, so I came to you. I would think, ma'am, with your infectious sense of humor, that you would have no trouble. You want to help out or not? I need to do this. We ordered Chinese food? Okay. Hazel gets up and we cut to the Roosevelt room. Chinese food cartons are spread around the table as well as beer and soft drinks. Josh, Larry, and Ed are reading copies of the speech. Don is making notes on a legal pad. After a moment. Yeah. Larry. You see the problem? And then bring the funny, Josh. No, they didn't. What are you doing? I'm jotting down some go-tos in case a joke doesn't work. I haven't seen an audience this dead since uh, that kind of thing. You think the president's going to get heckled? No, but I've read the speech and I think it'd be wise to have some uh, dead audience metaphors in your pocket. <sighs> okay, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very happy to be here and I want to thank the White House Correspondents Association for inviting me. I expect I'll be stuck here tonight with my fair share of verbal harpoons. I don't mind, just don't stick me with the dinner check. Wow. Oh, and then it says here, allow for laughter. <laughs> yeah, well, unless we give that instruction to the audience, I don't think it's gonna be a problem. Sam and Ainsley enter. Hey. I don't mind, just don't stick me with the dinner check. I know, it's like he's playing girl singers. I know, some of you are troubled by my frequent use of Latin references. Well, all I can say is, no te preocupas. And the joke there is that it's in Spanish. <laughs> kind of Latin. Uh, my point is that this is probably where you'll want your first dead audience joke. We're not going to need a dead audience joke. Ainsley, what are you? She's looking for Kung Pao chicken. Found it. That's a load off our minds. Donna, who gave you those beautiful flowers on your desk? I did. Me. Those are for me. What's the occasion? Nothing. Our anniversary. Not our anniversary. Donna doesn't like to talk about it. I really don't. Okay. Well, a few years ago, Donna's boyfriend broke up with her. And so she started working for Josh, but then the boyfriend told her to come back and she did. And predictably they broke up again and came back to work. So there's some dispute over the date and, you know. Sam looks over to Donna who puts her hands on and shakes her head as if to say, did you hear what I just said? I thought you meant you didn't want to talk about it. I'm a spokesman, Donna. It's in my blood. Well, they're nice flowers. Mm. like to thank our host Jay Leno who, who we're uh, not making fun of the host who are we making fun of Republicans, Republicans. Mm. 
I only wish the speaker were here tonight, but he's held up in negotiations on the Hill. He's demanding his latest prenup include a line item veto. There it is. All right, two groups. Uh, you guys over there, we'll be over here. I want to be in the other group. Why? The Kung Pao chicken. Get the Kung Pao chicken and bring it over here. Let's go in in half an hour. I want to make Toby laugh. Exit portico, exterior portico night. Toby's sitting on the bench with a wet towel on his face. Leo steps out with a fresh drink and hands it to Toby, who drinks it and puts the glass down next to him. So I found out about a year ago, two nights before the State of the Union, he had an attack. He did? When he passed out in the Oval Office? That was an attack. Yeah. I thought it was the flu. The flu brought on the attack. Toby waits a moment, then gets up and walks inside. Leo follows, follows him into the Oval Office. Toby doesn't really know what to do with himself for a moment. How is it? How is it possible that this was kept a secret? First of all, who else knows? You're the sixteenth person. Who else? I'll tell you some of them. I won't tell you all of them. Why not? Because it's not entirely my business. I'm not sure of my footing here. The president will be off the phone in a minute. In the meantime, you'll take what I give you. It's not entirely your business. The first lady, the doctor, the radiologist, the specialist, the kids. Who else? That's it for now. He, he took a physical. Those doctors were from eight years. He took a physical when he ran... And disclose that it's in remission. It doesn't show up during a physical. Leo! It's in remission. Nobody lied. Nobody lied. Nobody. Nobody lied? Is that what you've been telling yourself over and over again for a year? Look. Leo, a deception of massive. Per- I can't even. He gets a physical twice a year at Bethesda. His doctors are naval officers. Are you telling me officers are involved with Toby? These guys are going to be court-martialed. Nobody was, listen to me. Nobody lied. Nobody was asked to lie. Coercion, then. Bartlett steps in from Leo's office. Nobody was asked to lie. Officers, the first lady, surgeons, surgeon generals, for all I know. The plural of surgeon general isn't surgeon generals, it's surgeons general, like attorneys general or courts martial. Nobody was asked to lie. That was Gareth from the FAA. Upon interrogating Rida Nassam, they believe it's, Im- it's possible another rental car crossed the border yesterday. They believe it's heading to a safe house in Patterson, New Jersey, and the FBI thinks they can apprehend him in 24 hours. Of course, the only way all that will happen is if Rida Nassam is telling the truth. So who wants odds? Anyway, they're still looking at forensic evidence and we'll talk again in a few minutes to decide if there's a credible threat. I'm sorry, sir, I didn't hear that. I said, we're gonna decide if there's a credible threat. Why? What are you guys talking about? End of act two. Act three, fade in, interior Mrs. Lanningham's office. Night, Charlie's at his desk. Josh comes in from the corridor. Hey. How you doing? 
Do you have any idea how much longer Toby's going to be? I don't. Let me ask you. You think this joke is funny? I'm sorry, the Speaker of the Hill isn't here. He's up on the Hill in last-minute negotiations. He's going over his prenup, and he wants a line-item veto. No, I think it's pretty funny, but... What? I wouldn't do it. Why? I think it's going to call attention to the First Lady not being there. Where's Mrs. Bartlett going to be? She went back up to Manchester. She's not coming to the correspondence dinner? Probably not. Charlie... What's going on? Charlie gives him a little look that says, you know better than to ask me stuff I'm not going to tell you. Sorry. All right. You don't know when Toby's out? No. Okay. Josh starts back. It was a good joke. It wasn't mine. Josh opens the door and goes into the Rosalie Belt room where Donna, Ainsley, Ed, and Larry are in joke writing mode. They're scribbling on pads in various places and positions around the room. Okay, here we go. Sam comes in from the corridor with a piece of paper. <sighs> Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of sex. What's the joke? It's not a joke. The Equal Rights Amendment. When did that come back? Read what these guys have. Josh takes the pad shall not be abridged or denied on account of sex. Very dangerous language. This must be stopped. Ed and Larry have written some funny jokes, Sam. Wouldn't you care to eat the legal pad they've written them on? What could possibly be your problem with the ERA? It's redundant. Why are we talking about the ERA? She's doing a thing. The ERA's not back or anything, though, is it? Well, certainly not if Phyllis Schlafly over here has her way. Look. It's redundant? I'm a low-maintenance lady. I got the 14th Amendment. I'm fine. How about that? The 14th Amendment, which says that a citizen of the United States is anyone who was born here. That's me. And that no citizen can be denied due process. I'm covered. Make a law for somebody else. Okay, okay. Here is a joke based on the premise that the party afterward is hard to get into and that the president is the commander-in-chief. <clears> hmm. <throat> I hear the Bloomberg party is going to be hard to get into this year, but I'm not worried. I'm going to the party with the 82nd Airborne. And then the president says, wow, I haven't heard a room this quiet since we lost the signal on Galileo. Or, wow, I haven't seen my staff update their resumes as quickly since the last, din last time I tanked the correspondence dinner. Josh. Yeah? When you yell, you make it harder for people to find the funny. Hey, who gave you those flowers on your desk? A mean man who can't read a calendar. Sam? I have to call Sam over to a private spot. We're doing fine. Toby's going to come in and nail it. This is his thing. Yeah. Cut the speaker joke, okay? Uh, Mrs. Bartlett might not be there. Okay. All right. So we're going to be fine here, right? Yeah, we're doing great. We're doing great, everybody, right? Sam, we've got one here, but it involves a John Wayne impersonation and a sock puppet. Yeah, we're eating it. Okay, everybody get up. Get up and move to a different chair. That helps the creativity going? Yeah, but it gives you something to do. Interior, interior Oval Office night. Bartlett and Toby. Leo's gone for a moment.
Leo said you had an attack last year. Hmm? Leo said you had an attack last year. Yeah. A couple of nights before the State of the Union. Yeah. Wasn't that also the night you saw satellite pictures of India moving on Kashmir? Yeah. India and Pakistan were staring at each other down. Control of some nuclear weapons had been put in the field. Yeah. So in the middle of a, I, I don't know what you call it. An episode. In the middle of an episode, you were in the situation room as commander in chief. I know. Can't believe we're all still here. Toby is staring at Bartlett. How the fuck can you make a joke like that? Bartlett's staring right back at Toby. Yeah, I made a fucking joke. You got a problem with it? Mr. President. The episode was over. Leo was with me. The chairman of the Joint Chief was with me, as were the secretaries of state and defense. Do you receive medication? I'm sorry? Do you receive medication? I get injections of beta serin. From whom? From a doctor. None of your current doctors are aware of your condition, Mr. President. Is your wife medicating you? Toby, I think that while temperatures are running a little high, it'd be best if you referred to my wife as Mrs. Bartlett or the First Lady. Leo comes in. Yes, sir. What you got, Leo? They'd like a few more minutes. The FAA? Yeah. Talk me through what heightened security means. Well, they deploy more uniformed police and the dogs. They hand search luggage. Continue the curbside check-in. Yeah, eliminate the first two rows of short-term parking. Okay. They want a few minutes. Yeah. Toby's concerned that the peaceful solution I brokered in Kashmir last year was the result of a drug-induced haze. I was there with him. So was Fitz. So was Cashman. Hutchison, Barry Hill. That's fantastic. Toby. None of you were elected. I was elected. They were appointed. The vice president was elected and has the constitutional authority to assume my- Not last May, he didn't. He didn't last May when you were under general anesthesia. That's because I never signed the letter and I don't think I got shot because I got MS. No, I don't think you did either, sir. I meant that during a night of extreme chaos and fear. When we didn't know yet if we'd been the victims of domestic or foreign terrorism, or even an act of war, there was uncertainty as to who was giving the national security orders. And it was because you never signed a letter. So I'm led to wonder, given your condition and its lack of predictability, why there isn't simply a signed letter sitting in a file somewhere. And the answer, of course, is because if there was such a signed letter sitting in a file someplace, somebody would ask, why? The commander-in-chief had just been attacked. He was under general anesthetic. A fugitive was at large. The manhunt included every federal, state, and local law enforcement agency. The Virginia, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware National Guard units were federalized. The KH-10 showed Republican Guard movement in southern Iraq. And 12 hours earlier, an F-117 was shot down in the no-fly. And the vice president's authority was murky at best. 
The National Security Advisor and the Secretary of State didn't know who they were taking their orders from. I wasn't in the Situation Room that night, but I'll bet all the money in my pockets against all the money in your pockets, it was Leo, who no one elected. For 90 minutes, there was a coup d'etat in this country. Bartlett's silent for a moment. It's scary until he burst into. And the walls came a-tumbling down. I feel fine, by the way. Thanks for asking. Sir. No, Leo. Toby's concern for my health is moving me in ways I don't even know what to do. Mr. President. Shut up. You know your indignation would be a a lot more interesting to me if it weren't quite so covered in crap. Sir. steps in. Sir. Yeah? Mr. Barrett. Thanks. Charlie exits. Are you pissed because I didn't say anything, or are you pissed because you were the 15th? Uh, there were 15 people who knew before you did. Anyway, I feel fine, and I appreciate you asking. Take the call in here. We'll step outside for a minute. Toby and Leo exit onto the portico. Bartlett's left alone. He walks out onto the desk, but then kind of walks past it to try and shake all of this off somehow. Comes back to the desk, sits down, picks up his phone, hits a button, and says, Yeah, this is the president. Fade to black, end of act three. Act four, fade in, exterior, the White House night. Self-deprecation. Yeah. Interior, the Roosevelt room. Self-deprecation is what we need. Yeah. Self-deprecation is the appetizer of charm. We need jokes about the staff. We need jokes about the staff. Let's start with you. Well, problem is there aren't many jokes one can make about me. How about this? Um, knock, knock. Who's there? Sam and his prostitute friend. See, I think there was a bit of misdirected anger there. I'm okay with that. Well, in that case, Ainsley, the reason I gave you flowers in April instead of February is that you ditched me the first time around to go back to the guy who ditched you the first time around, only to have him ditch you the second time around. Nana thinks a moment and smacks Josh in the back of the head. Ah, what the hell was- that was him! He was being you. Well, I think, in fairness, everyone should get a turn. Sam, is there anything we can pull? Anything we can recycle? Yeah. Well, something I wrote from October called Government-Wide Accountability for Merit System Principles. That one was a barn burner, was it? Just get it. Josh, exit. Is there coffee left? In the mess. You think they have cheesecake down there? Well, it's half past midnight and the pastry chef usually stays on until dawn, so... I'll go and see what there is. Sam and Ainsley exit into the corridor while they'll be making their way down to the mess. The door, corridor is unusually empty. You know what we should do? We should do a joke about women. Because there's no law against that or paying them less money than men. As a matter of fact, the Pay Equity Act was passed in 1964 when women were making 59 cents to the dollar. What are you making now? 79 cents. Oh, so everything's fine. They walk into the corridor. No, there's still some problems, but I'm not worried because the federal government's coming to the rescue. Look, 
You think pay disparity is because some sexist and human resources hired two people for equal positions and paid the man more. (laughs) Oftentimes. Oftentimes, women make less money over the course of their life because they choose to. Oh, good night, nurse. They do not choose to make less money. They are financially punished for having kids. You start heading down the stairway. They made a choice to have kids. Not necessarily if you guys have your way, but that's a different can of tuna. I flat out guarantee you that if men were biologically responsible for procreation, there would be paid family leave at every Fortune 500. They walk into the mess. It's empty and dimly lit. Sam grabs a tray, some mugs, and goes to a coffee urn. Sam, if men were biologically responsible for procreation, they'd fall down and die at the first sonogram. If the amendment is redundant, then what's your problem if it's passed or not? Because I'm a Republican. Have we met? I believe that every time the federal government hands down a new law, it leaves for the rest of us just a little less freedom. So I say let's just stick to the ones that we absolutely need in order to have water come out of the faucet and our car's not stolen. That is my problem with passing a redundant law. Sam? Yeah? The all-night pastry chef. You were just kidding about that, right? Yeah. Sam, Ainsley, and the coffee start upstairs as we cut to the portico. Leo's sitting on the bench. Toby's leaning against a pillar. Points nose? Yeah. And he thinks the president won't run again. He thinks there's a chance. Will he? He'll run. Yeah. We stood in that office a couple of months ago, you and I, and said, take my hand and we'll just... Never mind. He'll run. Coins was 14. Who was 15? Dr. David Lee, the anesthesiologist at GW. He had to know about the beta seron. Getting back to Hoynes. I'm sorry, Leo, but you... I need you to look at me right now and tell me the doctor's not under any kind of surveillance. The doctor's free to talk to whomever he likes. Well, I'm sure we're going to find that out soon enough. He's not going to leak it. Someone will. Toby. Leo Hoynes left breadcrumbs. He wanted me to find out. A camping trip to Killington? That was a jackass move. I don't think it was. I think he may be the only person around here acting responsibly. To who? The Democratic Party. It's seven and a half months till the Iowa caucus, and no one's been told the president might not be the nominee? He's gonna run. You may not have that option, Leo. When the story breaks, it'll be because we broke it, and we'll control it, and the public will accept it. It's not like it's unprecedented that a president conceal health issues. What do you think is gonna happen? I mean it. What do you think is gonna happen? Well, only one of five things. The president can decide not to run. He can run and not win. He can run and win. And what are the other two? Leo. You think he's going to need to resign? There's going to be hearing. Upon hearing. Upon hearing. He hasn't broken a law. Charlie steps out onto the portico. President stepped over to the residence for just a moment, but he's off the phone if he wanted to come back in. Thanks. Charlie goes back inside. Says you. And you don't have to break the law to get served with articles of impeachment. Toby, it is never going to get that far. Toby looks down, smiles, and shakes his head. (laughs) Write down the exact date and time you said that. 
Toby heads inside and, and we cut to the Roosevelt room. Donna's got her legs up on a chair. Tommy, is that mine is a dry wit? And a dry wit, like a fine martini, is best enjoyed. Larry and Ed are waiting for it. Uh-oh. I know where to go there. Sam and Ainsley come in with coffee. What the hell took so long? We got the coffee, but then I spilled it going up the stairs, you know, the first couple of times. Where's Josh? Uh, you sent him to get the thing. For how long? I've had to spill coffee, you know, a lot. I'll find him. Donna exits. So guys. Yeah. Well, I was downstairs. I made a decision. I'm going to register with the Republican Party, and I'll tell you why, if you're curious, because they are a freedom-loving people. We also like beef. You insist the government is depraved for not legislating against what we can see on a newsstand, what we can see in art, in art gallery, and what we can burn in protest, which sex we're allowed to have sex with, and you dare, but don't you dare try to regulate this deadly weapon I have concealed on me, for that would encroach against my freedom. Yeah, and Democrats believe in free speech as long as it isn't a prayer while you're standing in a school. You believe that Freedom of Information Act, except if you want to find out if your 14-year-old daughter had an abortion. We believe in the ERA. Well, go get them. How can you have an objection to something that says... Because it's humiliating. A new amendment we vote on declaring that I'm equal under the law to a man, I'm mortified to discover that there's a reason to believe I wasn't before. I'm a citizen of this country. I'm not a special subset in need of your protection. I don't have to have my rights handed down to me by a bunch of old white men. The same article that 14 that protects you protects me. And I went to law school just to make sure. And with that, I'm going back down to the masks because I thought I may have seen there a peach. Ainsley turns and exits. I could have countered that, but I'd already moved on to other things in my head. Cut to Toby's office night. Josh is standing on a stepladder trying to reach a binder that's on top of a pile of binders on top of the shelf. He's trying to leverage it with a pencil as Donna walks in. Josh. The sound startles Josh. makes a sudden movement, which sends piles and piles of folders and binders cascading and crashing to the floor. They look at the damage for a moment. Well, that was predictable. Yes. I'm looking for that speech Sam said. You know we keep them on the computer. I, yeah, sure, I, I suppose, but you don't know how to use a computer, right? Josh, 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 yes, Josh, Josh, pudding and pie. What the hell is happening right now? You feel, I believe, because you're quite able-minded that this job was my second choice. Hey, I'm just grateful we were your last choice. When I came back, you remember I had a, a bandage on my ankle? Yeah. I told you I slipped on the ice on the front walk? Yeah. I was actually in a little car accident. You were in an accident? It was no big deal. You told me it was a late thaw. Kind of smiles for a moment at the sweetness of Josh having thought that. Yes, I did. Anyway, they took me to the hospital and I called him and he came down to get me. But on the way, he stopped and met some friends of his for a beer. 
He stopped on the way to the hospital for a beer? Yes, and so I left him, which was the point of my telling you this. I left him. So stop remembering that. What I remember is that you took me back when you had absolutely no reason to trust me again. Donna, I... You're going to make fun of him now, right? No. Because that's why I didn't tell you in the first place. I'm not going to make fun of him. Good. But just what kind of dumpkiss were you He was supposed to meet his friends. He stopped on the way to tell them that he couldn't. And he had a beer. Does this make you feel superior? Yes, you're better than my old boyfriend. I'm just saying, if you were in an accident, I wouldn't stop for a beer. Josh is on his way out when he stopped by. If you were in an accident, I wouldn't stop for red lights. Josh looks at her, and as Donna passes him on their way out. Thanks for taking me back. And the flowers are beautiful. Donna exits as we cut to the Oval Office. Toby and Leo, there's a long, long silence before. Why not heightened security? Hmm? At the airports? Why not heightened security? What's the downside? Bartlett comes in from Lanningham's office as Leo and Toby stand. Sorry about that. What's going on? Charlie? I gotta make the call. Yes, sir. Get Gareth back. Toby was just asking what the downside of going to security condition was. The scanner they use takes an hour to search the luggage of 250 passengers. The condition requires two photo IDs. Most people only have one. Delays. Delays are the downside. Aren't delays a small price to pay for safety? Yes, but it's a high price to pay if you're, uh, all you're getting is the illusion of it. You want to see airport security, buy a ticket to LL, JFK to Tel Aviv, but you better get there a few days early because you're going to be put there through a security gauntlet considerably tougher than has anyone unknown to you packed your bags. It's done to make the public feel better. And what's wrong with that? Nothing. But I have to consider that giving an executive order to heighten airport security might make the public feel worse. So what do you want to do, Mr. President? Charlie steps in. Mr. Gareth. That was timed out well. Hal, let's do it, okay? I'm ordering the airports to a two condition. You'll get it in writing in about five minutes. Thanks. Bartlett hangs up. I didn't know enough. I know the feeling. I don't have any intention of apologizing to you, Toby. Would you mind if I asked why not? Because you're not the one with MS. A wife, three kids, and airports to close. Not every part of me belongs to you. This was personal. I'm not willing to relinquish that right. It will appear to many if not most, as fraud. It will appear as if you deny the voters an opportunity to decide for themselves. They're generally not willing to relinquish that right either. Yeah. It's 17 people, by the way. I'm sorry? You were the first. We weren't counting you. It's 17 people. 
Mr. President, at some point in the near future, we're going to have to speak to some lawyers. That's usually what brings on the episodes, but if you say so. And after a beat, Toby and Bartlett crack up laughing. Leo joins in and laughing subsides. <laughs> I don't know. I like being unbelievably stupid. May have been unbelievably stupid. I don't know. Sorry, I'm really annoyed. And Toby's struck by the simple honestly, honesty of the apology. Uh, I've got to go in the other room and- um, Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. President. Toby exits into the corridor and walks into the Roosevelt room where he opens the door to shouting and laughing and cheers of, Toby, now we're in business. Here you go, etc. Toby's making a brave attempt to cover that he's off balance and has been just shot from one of the weird, from one world to another. The Oval Office door is still open behind him. All right, all right. Toby's gonna be the judge. Toby, listen to this. Okay. <clears throat> all right. You have to imagine the president is saying it. Tell me if you think this is funny. Blackout. End of show. 